This episode contains adult themes and is not appropriate for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, the world. This is They Will Kill, a true crime podcast. I'm Courtney Eck. And I'm Sadie Eck. And this is my last episode from the Florida closet, you guys. I know you're going to miss it. I know you're going to miss this slightly echoey, kind of pinched sound of my voice. But next week, it's going to be buttery toffee town all over again. (laughs) (laughs) I think this is the best you've sounded, at least in my ears. Yeah, right now, my throat isn't constricting yet, but... Give me uh, 20 minutes. It's going to sound like a little rubber band dragging down a sidewalk. <laughs> Put enough pool cushions in there to Kill soak a... up the sound. Yes, and also infest my throat with parasites, which we talked about on the Patreon episode. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> enough about Florida Closet. This is all about murder, and tonight is Sadie's night, so I'll let you take it away, Eck. We're going to talk about the tragic story of Wayne Robert Feld great. Wayne Feld was born in 1949, just four years after the end of World War II. He grew up in a middle-class family in Maryland, surrounded by war heroes. Both his dad and uncle were well-decorated veterans of the war. He loved to hear their stories. He thought they were so brave. Wayne looked up to his father despite his heavy drinking and abusive parenting. Wayne's dad was always angry, and even the smallest mistake from his children could throw him into a fit of violent rage. His mother, I know, his mother tried to explain to Wayne that he had once been a carefree, gentle man, but his time in combat had deeply changed him. He was haunted by what had happened and drank to forget. When Wayne was 12, his father died by suicide after his mother had filed for divorce. Uh Oh, yeah. Despite his traumatic childhood and seeing firsthand how a war can change someone, Wayne wanted to be a war hero, just like his dad when he grew up. Of course he did. Wayne got his wish when he turned 18. After graduating from high school in 1967, he planned to attend veterinary school, but thought he would enlist in the army first. He would be able to fulfill his lifelong dream of becoming a soldier and get some money for college, too. Many men his age were desperate to avoid the Vietnam War and would do just about anything to get out of the draft. But Wayne was eager to go, even though, as the sole surviving son of a World War II veteran, he was exempt. He arrived in Vietnam in March of 1968, on the day he turned 19. Unlike the soldiers who fought in World War II, soldiers in the Vietnam War had a much different experience. The average age of an enlisted Vietnam soldier was 19. Uh, Soldiers in World War II, they averaged more closer to like 26. Oh, wow. Many had never been away from home. This was their first experience of the outside world. They were also sent to Vietnam as individuals, not as a part of a larger group of soldiers, and came home alone after serving one year. Oh, shit. I didn't realize that. Mm Mm-hmm. There was not the same camaraderie as the soldiers from World War II experienced when they went off to war and came home together as a platoon. 
unlike other wars where you can take over one physical area and move on to the next. In Vietnam, the only measure of victory was the body count. Quote, you fought over the same ground again and again, month after month, your only object to kill more of them than they did of you. I read an article about a man who went to war as a soldier and fought in the Vietnam War, and then mm-hmm. later interviewed soldiers there, like six years had passed, and the soldiers were fighting in the same area that the man had, the journalist had fought that long ago. And so they hadn't right. moved at all. Like there wasn't anything to take over. They were just like you know, fighting stuck. endlessly. Yeah. Endlessly. So there was fighting. no goal. Yeah. There was no completion. They just were killing. Right. They were just Yikes. trying to like suppress and snuff right. out the, I'm using air quotes, like the communists. But what does that really mean when you're in a, yeah country full of people you know like that don't want you there and they're gonna fight you yeah and possibly the biggest difference of all was how the veterans were treated when they came back to the united states expecting to be considered heroes like the veterans of world war ii they were often yelled at and spit on when they returned home they learned quickly to keep their war stories quiet and to wear their uniforms only when they had to i can't i can't imagine no fuck no Wayne's time in Vietnam started like a scene in a horror movie and never really slowed down. A week after he arrived in Vietnam, Wayne, who was a machine gunner with the 4th Infantry Division, was flown by helicopter to landing zone Polly Ann near Contum. He couldn't join his unit immediately because they were away fighting, so he spent that first day unloading the casualties from the returning helicopters. Mm. The next day, he joined a firefight that lasted two hours. Afterward, he and another soldier were sent to recover the body of their squad's point man, who had been captured and killed, and then subsequently napalmed by the U.S. airstrikes. Wayne would later describe attempting to pick up the corpse, but the legs came off. He vomited and then managed to stuff the remains into a body bag. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wayne, who was given the nickname Mouse by his platoon leader, would spend the year watching his friends die in terrible ways. He would later tell a journalist the story of watching one of his fellow soldiers getting hit in the abdomen with shrapnel from mortar fire. When Wayne ran to help him, he suddenly realized he was holding the man's intestines in his hands. Wayne held him Mm -mm. while he died. Mm -mm. No. 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 I mean, just like one, one... 16th of any of those things happening to anybody in this world would be plenty of trauma. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like take mm-hmm. any of those scenarios, dial it back to a 16th of the horror. And that's still extremely horrible. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and he, it's, so there were some stories that I left out because they were just too horrible. And then there were stories that he refused to talk about because they were so like so horrible he couldn't even say the words out loud. Of course. Um, yep. You know, and so like the horribleness that I'm describing here is like a tiny one sixteenth of the total of... horribleness. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Ugh. Yes. <sighs> We're so lucky. Everyone, just take a moment and be grateful. Just if you have not lived through something like that. It was impossible for the soldiers to know who was friend or foe. He tells stories of being ordered to go through entire villages, killing every person there, including women and children, because they couldn't figure out who was shooting at them. When they were done, they would burn the village to the ground. 
He grew to hate the mm-hmm. war, especially the napalm strikes. In a letter Wayne wrote to a friend back home, he described Vietnam as, quote, the jungle of the dead, referring not only to human casualties, but the relentless shower of Agent Orange being dropped on them to kill jungle foliage to eliminate the cover where the Viet Cong would hide. They called this Operation Ranch Hand. Mm-hmm. It would often take as long as a week for the trees to die. Wayne remembers at one point his unit was trapped without provisions. The men couldn't find nothing to eat but boiled leaves covered in the herbicide. Mm-mm. Mm-hmm. On another occasion, he drank river water and the moisture dripping off big leaves in a heavily contaminated area. Years after the Vietnam War ended, the disastrous effects of Agent Orange would come to light. The herbicides used contained large amounts of dioxin, which is a byproduct that's produced during the manufacturing of these chemicals. The chemical compound lasts for many years in the environment, particularly in soil, lake and river sediments, and in the food chain. Short-term exposure can cause darkening of the skin, liver problems, type 2 diabetes, immune system dysfunction, nerve disorders, muscular dysfunction, hormone disruption, and heart disease. Just to name a few. Yep. Long-term exposure is linked to different types of cancer. Additionally, dioxin causes birth defects in children whose parents were exposed. In 1988, Dr. James Clary, an Air Force researcher associated with Operation Ranch Hand, wrote to Senator Tom Daschle, quote, When we initiated the herbicide program in the 1960s, we were aware of the potential damage due to dioxin contamination in the herbicide. However, because the material was to be used on the enemy, none of us were overly concerned. We never considered a scenario in which our own personnel would become contaminated with the herbicide. Um, really? (laughs) Yeah. They didn't care. They didn't care. They knew that that would happen. You cannot literally just like spray entire huge areas of jungle with a toxic herbicide and think the soldiers, the American soldiers. First of all, it doesn't. Anyway, it makes me so mad. No, because American soldiers (sighs) don't, um, they're immune to it through wishes and dreams, just like Mm -hmm. everything in the United States. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Yeah. Thoughts and prayers. It's fine. It'll all be fine. Right. Yeah. And still, you know, it's that, I don't know, makes me so mad. All of it. Just, yeah. Like the poor Vietnamese people. And it's just so, so gross. So disgusting. Pointless and and horrifying. Yes. Like, yeah. When Wayne returned home after a year in Vietnam, he was shocked at how angry people were with him when he got off the plane. And one of the stories I read said that he... Uh, just like two days before he got sent home, was stuck in this like horrifying sniper attack where his soldiers were being like t- taken out one by one around him and they couldn't f- figure out where the sniper was. And, oh you know, like st- again, just stuck in literal hell. And then two days later, he's sent on a plane by himself. His time's done. He ends up in like Washington State and then is abused by his fellow Americans that he just tried it's to just, go and fight a war for that he doesn't understand and was awful. You know, it's... Yeah. Yeah. So people spit at him and threw bottles at him. He told another story of somebody saw him in his uniform. He was driving a car and he stopped at a stoplight or whatever. And they took a fire extinguisher and like sprayed the fire extinguisher foam in his car. Oh my God. 
No. He quickly learned to not talk about his time at war. His last few years in the army were spent as a lifeguard at Fort Dix and cleaning clogged toilets at Fort Meade. He went AWOL several times, drank heavily, and was nearly killed in a car accident. He was discharged from the army in 1970 and spent the next two years in and out of college and held 15 different jobs. He said he was never fired, Mm. always quit, but had a very hard time staying in one place for very long. He said it was very difficult to understand the difference between right and wrong after all he had experienced in Vietnam. I mean, can you imagine? Like, come Mm -hmm. on. Like, your government in that era, you trust them. Like, you're coming off of this, like, abundant American dream sort of, you know, period in American history. And they're like, go over and fight communism. It's the right thing to do. And your world just gets completely shredded and turned totally upside down. Right. Yep. Yeah. And especially coming from World War Two, which was, you know. Yeah. Which is horrible, but honorable. Right. Like there really was a power that needed to be stopped. Multiple powers. But yeah, and this, it's just totally different. So for him, I just can't imagine. Yeah. Wayne married his high school sweetheart, Rita, but the marriage only lasted six months. He was unable to control his rage with her, telling a story of a time that she came home from the store with too many bottles of ketchup. It made him so mad that he threw everything in the refrigerator against the wall. Ugh. No. He still could not talk to anyone about his experiences, and his mother, who was a nurse, suggested that he see a psychiatrist, but he refused. Quote, I was afraid to mention my problems because I'd thought they'd put me in the nut house for the rest of my life, he said. His nightmares grew worse. Once, when his sister woke him for breakfast, he threw her across the room. He described these nightmares feeling like he was right back in the war. He could see, hear, and even smell everything happening around him. When he woke up, it could take hours to realize where he was. He had zero support from veterans affairs groups like the American Legion and the Veterans for Foreign Wars. They treated Vietnam veterans at the time with indifference and even disdain. So crazy. No. Decades before complex post-traumatic stress disorder existed, diagnosis existed or anything mm-hmm. remotely like mm-hmm. that. I, yeah, God. And these people raised us. <laughs> I know, right? Generation that raised us. Explains Mm -hmm. a lot. Mm -hmm. Really, it does. To say Wayne was struggling was an understatement. He drank to cope and said that he had almost no tolerance for alcohol now, which was most likely caused by liver damage from his massive Agent Orange exposure. On November 28th, 1972, Wayne, who was working construction at the time, went out drinking after work with a co-worker, William Butch Blackwell. After drinking heavily, the two went back to Wayne's apartment to talk over the details of a deer hunting trip the two had planned to take that upcoming weekend. Wayne was still married to Rita, who would remember the two having quite a few beers together at the apartment before they started arguing about the rifle Wayne planned to use on the trip. The argument got heated to the point where Butch, who was known as a tough guy who liked to fight, took a swing at Wayne, punching him in the head. Wayne doesn't remember much after the punch, but does say he felt suddenly as if he was back in Vietnam. Mm. He went to the closet to get his rifle, and the two men started struggling for the gun. 
Wayne managed to get it from Butch and then, quote, sprayed the apartment with gunfire like he had in Vietnam. Mm-hmm. Rita was very lucky to make it out unharmed, but Butch was killed instantly when he was shot in the head. When the police arrived, Wayne had barricaded himself in the apartment and was screaming about Vietnam. He then started firing shots over the officers' heads. He stayed in the apartment for over an hour, screaming and, quote, making animal sounds until his mother was able to arrive on scene and talk him into surrendering to police. Oh, man. No. He put his weapon down and came out of the apartment. He begged police to kill him, but they handcuffed him instead. At the trial, Wayne's lawyer did not mention the fact that he had served in Vietnam. He didn't mention it during the trial. Mm -hmm. What? I know. And he was convicted of first-degree murder. If you don't have any backstory, then yeah, he just seems like a fucking lunatic. Yes. Yes, you don't just start shooting people randomly unless you're a terrible person. Yeah, or deeply, deeply, deeply traumatized and your brain has been split in half by war and trauma. Mm-hmm. And chemicals and everything awful oh, yeah. that's ever chemicals. happened. Mm-hmm. Abuse from your childhood. Yep. Mm-hmm. His conviction would be later overturned and Wayne was offered a new trial, but he decided to plead to manslaughter charges instead. He was sentenced to 12 years in prison. After spending three years in a Maryland prison, his first attempt for parole was denied, and soon after, Wayne escaped from the minimum security facility where he was being held. What? I couldn't find any. I know, I couldn't find any details about the escape. I found one little um, blurb in an old newspaper archive that was like, hey, keep a lookout for this guy. He got out of prison. (laughs) He killed somebody. (laughs) Goodbye. I was like, oh, okay. Clearly, they're very bigger fish to fry. (laughs) Yeah. Maryland doesn't care. He fled to the mountains, slept in cornfields, and eventually made his way down to Shreveport, Louisiana, where his mother lived. He would spend the next two years living as a fugitive. He managed to work odd jobs here and there, but spent most of his time drinking heavily. He stayed in touch with his mother until she died from cancer in October of 1978. And one of the articles I read said that her dying wish was that he would he was living under an alias and that he would change his name back so that she could introduce him as her son which is so sad oh, and no. yeah and then is what led police to find him in Louisiana a week later Wayne learned that the police were looking for him he made plans to get out of the state asked a friend to gather camping supplies for him and then asked him to pick him up later that night at a pizza parlor Mm-hmm. Wayne then went to one of his sisters and had her help him buy a handgun. He told her, quote, the grave next to mother's is mine. Oh, Wayne. He waited for his friend to pick him up at the restaurant, drinking beers to pass the time, but the friend never showed. He then went to the bar next door and continued to drink. He says he had completely given up at that point and was desperate to not go back to prison. He decided to go back into the men's room to kill himself, but when he pulled the gun out, someone came into the bathroom and he quickly hid the gun and left. He went back to the bar and had a taxi called to pick him up. Meanwhile, the customer who had walked into the bathroom called the police. The police showed up before the taxi did. One of the officers who arrived at the scene was 31-year-old Thomas Glenn Tompkins. 
At first, the officers wanted to send him home in the taxi, but then decided to arrest him for public intoxication. Wayne allowed the officers to pat him down, but somehow they missed the handgun he was hiding. They handcuffed him and put him in Officer Tompkins' car. According to Wayne, on his way to jail, he decided this was the time to kill himself. He was desperate to stay out of prison and wanted to end his miserable life. He managed to move his cuffed hands around his feet to the front of his body and grabbed his gun that was still in his waistband. While driving, Officer Tompkins saw his movements in the rearview mirror. He saw Wayne bring the gun up to his own head and managed to grab Wayne's wrists before he could kill himself. Mm. A struggle ensued, and the gun went off twice. Both bullets went through the roof. The gun was then shot three more times, twice through the front seat of the patrol car and one through the floorboard. Ballistics tests would later show that one of these bullets ricocheted off a spring in the driver's seat of the patrol car and struck Officer Tompkins in the side. It severed his femoral artery in his groin, and he bled to death within minutes. Oh, no. No. He had only been a police officer for eight months when he died and was survived by his wife and two young children. The day he died was the first day back to work after enjoying a long vacation with his family. Uh-uh. No. After the patrol car crashed into a guardrail, Wayne managed to escape and fled the scene. He said that he was disoriented and didn't know where he was. He remembers running in a zigzag pattern to avoid the non-existent enemy fire. Mm-hmm. Within an hour, the Sharifport Police Department found him cornered in someone's backyard where he was shot in the torso at point-blank range with a shotgun. And I couldn't get a lot of details. I think that Wayne was he still had his weapon, and so the police shot him. Mm-hmm. Wayne was seriously injured but survived the shooting. He would end up losing one kidney, part of his liver, and his right leg would end up completely paralyzed. Wayne's murder trial began in August of 1980 and lasted two weeks. The state was seeking the death penalty in the case. Wayne's lawyer, who is also a Vietnam veteran, relied heavily on an insanity defense, saying Wayne couldn't distinguish between right and wrong at the time of the shooting. They tried to explain to the jury the effects of PTSD, which had just been recognized as a psychiatric disorder that same year. So it wasn't recognized until 1980. Yeah. Yeah, I'm surprised, honestly, that it was that early. I would have thought it was like 2000, <laughs> you know, like well, with, the, yeah, I mean, I think it's you like, know, the lack of respect that we give traumatized people, you know, how little we believe traumatized people, even to this day. I think that th- that awareness is growing, mm-hmm. but, you know, it's, I'm honestly surprised that it's been around for 40 years. Mm-hmm. I know. I feel like it's just like the last 10 or 15 years where PTSD is accepted and known and, you know, I don't, I would love to yeah. hear from soldiers' experiences now, veterans' experiences of what it's been like for them recently. You know, do you get the help you need? Do people take you seriously? Do they understand that you can't just come home and everything's fine? And, you know, I'm going to say no. I found it. No. <laughs> I'm hoping it's a little better. I mean, I know that it's probably not, but like, I just hope. Yeah. Well, probably um, better than that, better than the treatment that Wayne got. But in general, I think that they probably, you know, it's just, A, I think that you, there's just no way to reconcile those two worlds, you know, like war and then mm-hmm. American life like that. How do you not become 
heinously resentful coming back and just being like, fuck every last one of you. You don't get it and you don't deserve it, you know, but then also, Mm -hmm. you know, PTSD and invisible ailments and things like that. It's just, that's such a struggle. It's yeah. Mm -hmm. I, I know there's more awareness and I think there are probably, you know, slightly more resources, but in general, I don't think that there's a way for us to properly take care of our soldiers, you know, right now, Mm. current day. Right. Yep. Yeah. I also found it interesting reading a lot of these articles that were written in the seventies and eighties, um, talking Mm -hmm. about the Vietnam soldiers experiences and they talked about it like it was a problem just that just Vietnam soldiers were experiencing because mm-hmm. of the things that we talked about, like the being alone and, you know, getting sent there by yourself and coming home by yourself and that nobody supported the war here. They were like, yeah, you know, the world war two soldiers didn't experience any of this. And I'm like, <laughs> bullshit. <laughs> they didn't, they no, didn't they talk just... about it. They, no. they just like, they also drink themselves to death and abuse their families Raised and serial killers. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, like, no, don't tell me that they, yeah. they maybe were a little quieter about it, but this is not just a Vietnam problem. <laughs> like, oh my God. No, no, no. <sighs> Hindsight. Studies done at the time showed between 50 and 70% of Vietnam veterans suffered from PTSD. No doubt Wayne was one of them. They also talked about the effects of exposure to Agent Orange and how it can cause behavior problems and drastic mood changes. Three psychiatrists testified on Wayne's behalf, explaining the effects of PTSD, and said without a doubt he did not understand his actions at the time of the shooting. The defense also tried to show that Wayne had no intention of shooting Officer Tompkins. If that had been his intent, he would have shot at the police when they arrived at the bar before he was handcuffed. Mm Mm-hmm. Prosecutors disagreed and portrayed Wayne as a cold-blooded killer and fugitive on the run. They said he killed Officer Tompkins so that he could once again escape custody. Well, that's hard to dispute. On August 21st, 1980, the jury deliberated for less than two hours before returning with a guilty verdict. During the sentencing testimony, Wayne told the jury to sentence him to death. Quote, Take my advice and return the death penalty. If the death penalty is not returned, I think other deaths will result. Wow. (laughs) I know. Wayne's defense attorney said, quote, The evidence shows that he, meaning Wayne, is in a sense already dead to some extent. I think it's obvious what he wants you to do. Wayne stands here being tortured as he had been tortured for over 10 years, and I submit he's yelling for help. There's only one thing that will benefit him, and that's treatment, and he can't get it. He finished telling the jury that he was deeply sorry that they didn't believe in PTSD. If they couldn't find him not guilty by reason of insanity, they should find him guilty and sentence him to death. So this is his uh, a lawyer saying this shit. That's a, a very good lawyer. But he's but he just said that oh, if they I, can't no, find I him guilty... Yeah. yeah, no, that that they should just go ahead and put him to death, too, because that's, there's no hope for him. Right. But it's complicated. I mean, I agree with I agree with a lot of what he was saying. Like, he needs treatment, and fuck you guys, kind of. Like, it's a really... Yes. Right? Yes. Yeah. Right, but he was also, like, giving them permission to, to like, kill him. him to death. Right, right. Yeah. 
there were some later articles that said that the lawyer who said those things, he said it was like his biggest regret of his whole life to ever <sighs> put that idea in the jury's head. And like, if, if there was, yeah, if there was one thing he could ever take back, it would be those, that one moment. Right. Because he's trying to illustrate a point and trying to be really like drive it home. Like this man is already dead. We've killed him. He's suffering. Mm-hmm. He needs help. You might as well kill him. But mm-hmm. it's like we talked about in the last few episodes, you have to be really careful with your language because people aren't like nuanced enough. Sometimes they don't, they can't discern that what you say doesn't mean what you think it means. Right. Like he's, mm-hmm illustrating a point and they're like well all right he told us to kill him so we're just gonna yep. kill him god mm-hmm. yep yep yeah he also talked about you know in this this ending like sentencing hearing about how how angola prison is like the worst of the worst anyway and then you put a man in there who has a paralyzed leg and uh-huh. you know like he's doomed so you've just completely yeah. doomed him he, he has no life in prison yeah uh, but yeah do they still do the rodeo at Angola? I think they do, don't they? <laughs> I don't know. They have a rodeo where they have all these events with the prisoners in a rodeo with bowls and things. And it's pretty questionable. It's pretty morally yeah, questionable. No, it's, it's super gladiator shit. Right. Yeah. And people come out from all around and pay money to watch. Mm-hmm. It said that three jurors cried during the sentencing testimony. Oh, God. After once again deliberating for less than two hours, the jury came back with the verdict. Before it was read, they made a statement to address Wayne's case, saying, quote, We, the jury, recognize the contribution of our Vietnam veterans and those who lost their lives in Vietnam. We feel that the trial of Wayne Feld has brought to the forefront those extreme stress disorders prevalent among thousands of our veterans. We have attempted through great emotional and mental strain to serve and preserve the judicial branch of our government by serving on this jury. This trial will forever remain indelibly imprinted on our minds, hearts, and consciences. Through long and careful deliberation, through exposure to all evidence, we felt that Mr. Feld was aware of right and wrong when Mr. Tompkins' life was taken. However, we pledge ourselves to contribute whatever we can to best meet the needs of our veterans. Most of the jury was in tears when the judge told Wayne that they had sentenced him to death. Mm, Unbelievable. Wayne would sit on death row in Angola prison for eight years as his case worked its way through the appeals process. For many years, he remained adamant that he wanted to die and tried to take his own life more than once. But he was always found in time and sent to the hospital where doctors would care for him and heal his wounds so that he could go back to sit on death row. He came close to being executed in 1983 when a judge issued a stay just 60 hours before his execution. Wow. I know. As time went by, he changed his mind and decided he'd like to continue living, but it wasn't to be. On March 15th, 1988, just 10 days before his 39th birthday, Wayne Feld was put to death in the electric chair. (laughs) He was left alone in the final hours of his life because the spiritual advisor who was supposed to be there never showed up. Oh my God, poor Wayne. Why is all of this happening to Wayne? Why would Wayne get help now after being utterly failed his entire adult life? 
God. Just before he was put to death, his last words were, quote, you can kill the messenger, but you can't kill the message. Sooner or later, you'll have to acknowledge it for what it means, not for what you want it to mean. Amen, Wayne. No. That's the story of Wayne Robert Feld. God bless it. No. Poor Wayne. Poor the officer. Poor the friend. That sucks. God. Laura and I talk a lot about people who have dark clouds over them. Like we all know people who just cannot cut a break. But that is an extreme case. That's so sad. Mm-hmm. That's so but sad. But what a perfect illustration of the system failing yep i know every turn he met the worst case scenario and so did his victims i mean they definitely didn't deserve to die but absolutely not no but it all sounded very avoidable i mean i mean the vietnam war probably was avoidable but all the rest of it oh god just breaks my heart it just breaks my heart no Man. Yep. They said that he uh, he did go uh, in front of the pardon board to try to get his death sentence repealed. Mm-hmm. Um, and the officer Tompkins family was like, "No, no, we we are we need the closure." They really wanted him to die. Um, yeah. You know, and I get it. I really do. It's hard yep. to know exactly what happened, and a lot of the articles that I found about the story were like super heavily biased towards Wayne and I can see why I mean I really do think that he needed help he didn't need to be uh, put to death for sure yep you know but it's hard to find a a more non-biased source of information a lot of the story came from Wayne himself Mm -hmm. and so I had to when I was writing it I kind of thought about that a lot like regardless Wayne shouldn't been put to death right um, the actual like facts of what happened in both cases is is sort of it's a little more murky. Yeah, but otherwise, I mean, it's just like, can we please, please help people, please? <laughs> I don't, well, I don't know seriously, take. I mean, the thing that this is slightly out of left field, but not really. So, my I have a friend who is a doctor for the VA and a massive advocate for the use of like psychedelics in treating complex traumatic Mm. post-traumatic stress post-traumatic stress and complex post-traumatic stress and she's adamant that there's nothing that even touches the amount of healing that can happen in using it and she's working you know legal channels and like serving on boards and working on legislation to be able to you know do proper testing uh, of psilocybin and other psychedelics so that's something that gives me a little bit of hope and i think if people are aware of just how i think people are understanding the medicinal properties of marijuana and i think that's kind of rushing to the forefront of treatment in a lot of cases and people specifically soldiers are able to you know get rid of cocktails of medication in some cases and able to find some relief but i think that if we can all grow up and be fucking adults and recognize that sometimes drugs can be used in positive ways to help people and start to help heal their brains and like help them 
furrow new neural pathways and things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, other than the fact that we need to spread the resources around and make sure that people get the help that they need, et cetera, et cetera. But that is one thing that like just putting it out there for people to learn a little bit more about it and research it. I also came in contact with another man who is the founder of MAPS, M-A-P-S. I can't remember what that stands for, but he's been doing this work since the beginning, like since the 80s. And he's also like, look, this shit works in unbelievable ways and ways you can't even believe, etc. So anyway, little PSA in favor of <laughs> something that's slightly controversial, but highly effective. Um, so if that starts to come up, I think we'll see more and more of that in legislation, you know, bills and things starting to be passed and states considering that legalization. So I'm, I'm personally pro that's my opinion based on a lot of information from very, very educated people. Yep. Everything in moderation or tiny little bits. (laughs) Well, and you know, supervised by professionals. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Yes. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So good one. That's all I Great one. Say about it. Mm-hmm. Extremely briefly, sad one. very briefly talked about it in the Patreon episode last time last week that I yep. had researching another story and came across the fact that the Vietnam War lasted for 20 years and mm-hmm. uh, that that was really shocking. And then I was trying to figure out what states we hadn't covered yet and i realized we've never done yep. a louisiana case which is crazy it's my which one of crazy. my top five favorite states yeah i know so i was looking and looking and this one i thought it was more louisiana based it ended up not really being but and then i was like oh shit and it's a vietnam veteran and <laughs> yeah. uh, so. it's wild how they all Here kind of fall into place isn't it yeah i know it really is I really is. So. And one of our our South African listeners, I'm just going to give you a big fat fucking bravo, hooray, hooray. She's always <laughs> chiming in on our Patreon when we're like, how did I not know that the Vietnam War was for 20 years? And she was like, well, it's because you joined in 1965. So as far as America's concerned, it didn't start until then. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, God, exactly. that's such a good point. And it she so just, is. she... Yeah, she always knows where the pitfalls of and the American education system are. And like, it rushes forward to give us the information, which I really appreciate. I really, really Me do. Me too. I really do. Yeah, I know it's it's hard to you don't know the things you don't know, right? And so, it's good mm-hmm. to have lots of opportunities. You know, it's not something that I expected uh, with the podcast. Yeah, it's like you start to research these huge stories that are you know and then and then it kind of like branches off into all of these other places and you're like oh shit like no especially in our tiny little rural indiana town where we grew up like we got the basics we got to learn how to read and write luckily (laughs) yes (laughs) you know some math and stuff and basic history how to use a measuring cup Mm -hmm. yeah right yeah but it's like oh man yeah it's time to time to go back to college court (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to send my boys to boarding school internationally. Uh, Laura and I were just talking about it today, actually, because her nephew who lives in Spain is becoming like he's aging out of his public school, you know, like they can send him to public Mm -hmm. high school, but it's kind of, you know, it's not the best education. He lives in the middle of absolute nowhere. But, um, and I was like, we might have to send the boys to public, to private school. Mm -hmm. We're just gonna have to figure it out. (laughs) 
like we got we got you know comparatively good educations now that I've grown and traveled and met people from other places I think we actually got a really good education as far as educations go in the United States but yeah private school man my private Mm. school friends were learning about shit and I just remember being like what so furious that that wasn't being taught in our school right anyway no I have I have so many times of like getting out of the midwest and moving to the west coast and just being like oh god there's so much i don't know about everything (laughs) turns out that doesn't change much no 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 it just gets worse but i remember i don't know if i mentioned this on the podcast but joining americorps and right out of high school and my first roommate was from manhattan which was like the dream come true because i was like oh my god sophisticated lady and i get to be Mm -hmm. sophisticated by default, you know, in proximity of her. So I remember her being like, yeah, and you know, Disney being so awful and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, "Uh, Disney is bad? Like, yeah. (laughs) Oh, yeah. They're the worst. I I had no idea. Like corporations (laughs) were bad. None. I was just like, oh, shit. How am I going to figure out what she's talking about? (laughs) Yeah. Right. No, I mean, I had to, mm-hmm. I remember sitting, and I don't know if this was my experience of, I don't know. So this was, I was, how old was I? It was like 19 in 2001 when 9-11 happened and, mm-hmm. and in Indiana and moved very quickly, moved to California and then to Portland, Oregon after that and uh, sat in the theater and watched Fahrenheit 9-11 and it like literally blew my mind open. I was like... <laughs> Oh my God. I didn't really have a lot of opinions at that point. I didn't really think about like George Bush or I just, you know, I grew up in, in Indiana where he was great and everything was fine and trickle down economy, you know, economy or whatever. Like I don't, and I was like, I just remember it it really like, it kind of ruined me for a couple days. I had to rebuild who I was going to (laughs) be. Just so funny. Isn't that funny? Like, you know, yeah. 20 years old or whatever. And you're just like, everything I thought is just yeah. not how the world is at all. Totally. Yeah. And so we were raised you, very... Moore. <laughs> totally. We were raised very counterculture. Like, our father has kept his money in the fucking, like, built wall or little yeah. places for it. Yeah, he built out our house <laughs> and, like, had little money hidey holes. I don't think he still has them. Just FYI, don't go robbing my dad's yeah. house. He finally got a bank account. <laughs> we didn't have social security numbers until we were like 10. You know, it was real um, anti-establishment in our in our household. But it was still, there's just still so much you don't know. Right. Right. Well, now yeah. growing up, just every day, did you know that? you know, here's this massive thing that you thought you knew about the American, about American history, and it's completely wrong. And it was Mm -hmm. used to cover up like a black person's achievement. And, you know, like, Mm -hmm. bring it on, bring it on world, we can handle it. Yep, I'm ready. I know. Fahrenheit 9-11 to me. (laughs) 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 Oh, Oh my God. Tell my secrets. Well, tell my secrets. I, it's a good, it's good to be vulnerable. 
Um, should we talk about some names, you guys? I mentioned yeah. last week that the spigot was trickling, and you were like, no, 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 fire hose, <laughs> here it comes. Like, oh, you want more? Here you go. Like, oh, I've been holding back, and now's the time. I don't even really know where to start this week. They're so good. They are so good. I'll start with this one. Caden, good enough. And he, <laughs> the person that sent this and screen capped their Instagram or their Facebook, and <laughs> their tagline is, not the best, but good enough. <laughs> <laughs> That's just to have that self-awareness as a young person. Not the best, but good enough. Good enough. Caden, Caden good, good enough. enough. I salute you, sir. You are, you're the best. Okay, so this person said in their local town, the, phys- the physician director of EMS's name is Dr. Waffle. <laughs> Oh, God. Waffle. The Dr. Waffle, the EMS director, is Norma Pancake. There's an unsubstantiated rumor that there used to be an employee of the EMS with the last name Bacon. So Pancake, (laughs) Waffle, and Bacon. This person there. Seriously, but this person's wife went to school with Joseph Joseph Berger and Deborah Fries. Like, somebody was handed out names in this town, and they had not eaten lunch. <laughs> and they're just like, you get to be Joseph Berger, you get to be Deborah Fries. What else That's do I like? Right. You're going to be Alexander Steak. And oh, that's so funny. Um, you are fish fillet. <laughs> you're, seriously. Uh, d- Dick Chew. <laughs> How do you go through life with the name Dick Chew? <laughs> you oh. don't. You just hide. <laughs> you change your name. That's so good. I did hear. Oh my god, this name! Every time I read it, I have to reread it because it's so fucking funny. The first name is spelled E I S O X, so it's I socks dicks. <laughs> Cruel. I socks and dicks. I socks and dicks. Like why? How? I so many questions. Is it? I don't know the origin of that name. It's a great name. I just question mark question mark question mark. (laughs) It's. Thank you, Uh, thank you to that family. And they were like oh, a basketball player, I'm pretty sure. Anyway, God, you guys. Thank it's you. It's just so for funny. The gifts. Yeah. <laughs> oh, legitimately LOLing regularly. <laughs> I find myself a lot of times since Courtney has done been doing like the name corner, I I see them come in, but then I purposefully like ignore oh, it so smart. That I can en- yep. enjoy it. Like I can't help myself sometimes and I read them, but I immediately I'm very good at forgetting things, so I just like let it get out of my brain so that I can enjoy it again. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, God, I love it. 
I love what it else so do we much. have for these people? Uh, we have announced officially uh, set out the invites to our Patreon party, March 20th, 8 p.m. Eastern time. It's going to be fucking fun, you guys. The yep. RSVPs are rolling in. If you want to be a part of our party, sign up for Patreon for as little as $3 a month. You can see our faces on March 20th. Yep. Yep. It's going to be really fun. It is. I'm going to dress up. I still have to figure out what I'm going to do. I'm getting my hair cut the day before on the 19th. Oh, that's smart. I, well, not on purpose. It just happened that way. Sometimes my hair freaks out. I'm mostly just worried about my hair, apparently. Anyway, uh, I'm excited. I think it's going to be really fun. Cannot wait I'm to so see excited. your faces. Oh, too. my God. I know. It's like a blind date with like 100 people. I can't I know. wait. I know. I'm going to just sit there and like smile and probably cry a couple times and... And then you guys are going to be like, okay, so now what? And I'll be like, I don't know. Oh, I don't know. What do you guys want to talk about? (laughs) Yeah. We're not just going to sit and stare at each other? (laughs) No, we're just going to cry and smile. Cry, smile, party. And you're invited. (laughs) Hey, and you know who's going to hopefully come to our party? My new puppy. Oh, yeah. Courtney's getting a new puppy. It's a little teaser. I'll leave it at that. But there's going to be a fat fucking cute little puppy in the in the party anyway who else who's coming to the party our new patreon supporters would you like to hear their name oh yeah we get to shout them out i forgot about that part of the night yeah who <laughs> who do we have we have so my favorite job um i'm glad it's your job okay all right we're gonna start off with a tiny little mystery but i want to thank Katie M and Catherine M. They are possibly the same person. So maybe somebody loves us so much that they've slightly changed their alias so that they could give us money twice. Maybe. <laughs> I mean, if so, oh, that's amazing. If so, <laughs> it is. And if not, you guys should be friends. And regardless, your names are Katie and Catherine. Marvelous. Obviously. Yep. Obviously. Respectively. <laughs> Uh, thank you so much to Amber R. Yeah, Amber R. Probably Amber Rose, but if it's not Amber Rose, then it's Amber Radicalist One ever. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much to Christy B. Christy, believe in you because you're fucking great, Christy B. <laughs> Oh, thank you so much. So thank you so much to Alicia. <laughs> just Alicia? Kind of question mark. Just Alicia. Alicia. Yeah, just Alicia. Cher, Madonna. I can't remember who it was last week. And Alicia. Gina. I think Gina. It was Alicia. Oh, Leslie. I think we also have done that. I think it was Leslie. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to the pantheon of single named women supporting our podcast. That's right. Thank you so much to Anna D. Anna D. Lux. Fuck yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Thank you so much to Claudia H. Claudia has no need for your bullshit. She's Mm -hmm. a bad woman. She's a badass. And get Mm -hmm. out of her way. That's right. Yep. She will destroy you. Yep. In a good way. In a like funny yeah. way. Yeah. 
powerful way, but supportive. And thank you so much to Brandy H. Brandy also has, that's what the H stands for. Brandy (laughs) also has no room for your bullshit. Get out of her way. She's a powerful, bad woman. That's right. Thank you so much to Molly C. Molly C, you in heaven slash a cool (laughs) club. Yeah. I don't don't want you to die. So. Yeah, cool clubs real soon. Yep. Or did you mean like a cool club, like like a club? Like no, a, no, a cool club, like a hot nightclub. Dance club. Okay. Yeah, a cool one. She is in a cool club, meaning our patron supporters club. <laughs> yes, yes, no, no cooler club. Uh, thank you so much to Maya Jane. Oh my beautiful God. Name. My, that is a beautiful name. My middle name is Jane. So that's all you need to know. <laughs> Sorry. What Courtney means is that uh, you're her favorite. That's what she means. <laughs> My yes. Jane, you're her favorite. Yes. That is a really beautiful name, though. <laughs> uh, thank you so much to Michelle H. Michelle has no need for your bullshit, so get out of her way because <laughs> she's a bad bitch and she doesn't have time for it. <laughs> uh, thank you so much to Mary Beth K. All right, Mary Beth K. I love the name Mary Beth. Mm-hmm. I know. My day, Mary Beth. It's all just perfect. Oh, you all are too perfect. bad I don't. I wish I wanted kids so I could just name them all after you guys. It's true. Uh, last but not least, thank you again. We got two Ambers this week. Thank you to Amber. Yay, no Amber! Last no last initial. Leslie, Gina, Alicia, Amber. Pyrotechnics. We love you guys. I'm gonna start giving everybody last names based off of like. Thank you so much to Amber Dick Chew. (laughs) Wow. And then you won't know who's who. (laughs) I was kidding. (laughs) (laughs) You'd be like, maybe I'm Amber Dick Chew, but I maybe I was Amber Pancake. I suck sticks. Waffle. (laughs) Amber Waffle. She's taking liberties with your last names, folks. I don't know how you feel about it, but it's just part of being our Patreon supporter. You might get a little yeah. bit abused. Might might That's be cool right. and nice. Might be kind of uncomfortable. But you have That's to show right. up we on do. March twentieth to find out. We do what we want, <laughs> <laughs> and what we want to do is love you. In the meantime, if you want more details, if you want to figure out how to find us, how to sign up for things, links for stuff, you can find us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at They Will Kill. You can go to our website, theywillkill.com, and you can always send us a message, theywillkillpodcast at gmail.com. We love it so much when you write us. We really, really yes, do. Yes, we do. Thank you to AJ Burgess for our music. And also, please rate, review, subscribe. Yes, we love that too. We love it. You really All have no it. idea how much we love it. That's right. And remember... Mm, you're a bad bitch and get out of her way because she's not taking your shit and she's it's international women's day too as we're recording this so this goes out to all you ladies and also to non-binary listeners and also to male listeners and everyone is bad international everybody day yeah (laughs) (laughs) yeah we just made a statement with that one We love you guys. (laughs)
We love you guys. Thank you so much for listening. We love you so much. Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.